Welcome to Cosmophonia. I'm Meredith. And I'm Gabe. And today we're talking about music and sound in the 1979 film Alien. Alien. Well, first, we know we're a little bit late. Yeah, but that was quasi-intentional. Yeah. Because we wanted to do a Halloween episode, and we wanted to do it on a scary space movie, and it the timing just happened to work out. Yeah, so this is sort of a in-between-the-full-moon and Halloween, and I mean, maybe, you know, imagine a world where those two happen at the same time. Oh, yeah. It yeah. happens. It does happen. Yeah. We used to also shout out, we've been busy. It was a busy week. Mm-hmm. Our friends at Weird Studies were in town doing a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they've been nice to us. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. so thanks, Weird Studies. Yes. Thank yeah. you so much. And it, we had a great time, but yeah. So now we're here doing this. We're yes. also having a great time. We are. We are. We should say what this is. This is our episode about the music and sound of Alien. Alien. The original, <laughs> 1979. Yeah. We figured that was about as space sound Halloween-y as we could get it. <laughs> yeah. At, <laughs> at, least, <laughs> at least this year. Yeah. We can do a, th- a series, maybe, like do a scary mm-hmm. space movie every Halloween. Yeah, there's a few of those. There's a lot of them. Yeah. Especially yeah. recently. Yeah. Well, actually, since the beginning of time, really, I I think, like, in the early days of cinema, sci-fi and horror were not a separate genre. Mm. Like, if you had a space movie, it was scary. <laughs> At least the ones that we know of today. <laughs> well, that one where they go to the moon is sort of uh, voyage. Oh, yeah. well, I wasn't talking that early. I was talking, oh. like, 30s. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, you're right. That was definitely a thing, and... uh yeah. So this movie has some music in it. Mm-hmm. It has some sound in it. Yes. And we were both talking about how the... It's not that the music isn't memorable, because it's definitely... there's it definitely contributes in significant ways. It's memorable. Mm-hmm. But I found myself thinking about how it gets close to kind of being like non-music. Mm-hmm. It's very minimalistic. Yeah, but minim- minimalistic in the sense of you hear musical gestures that are very clearly musical, right? But only rarely do they rise above the level of being, let's say, a motif or a chord or something, right? This isn't a movie with rhapsodic themes or you know really elaborate like even when it gets dramatic and there's dramatic music it's like atmosphere music yeah um but i guess in this i i said something a second ago that to me is part of what makes it really interesting despite the fact that it's so much atmosphere you know and it is kind of minimalist in its materials it is overtly human and overtly musical 
right? Like I kept noticing how many flutes there are, you know, like it's not a synthesizer score. It's a very orchestral score Mm -hmm. and one that makes you aware of individual instruments in particular. And yeah, I mean, the flutes get probably the most attention. Mm -hmm. This is supposed to be one of the scariest movies ever made. And the score is dominated by flutes. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually thinking like there's this one motif that There are two, like, major motifs that I found coming back again and again. And one is kind of what opens the the very, very long shots at the beginning before all of the astronauts wake up, just, like, going through the ship through these, like, strange abandoned spaces. And it's this, like, alternating just couple chords, and then it'll, like, kind of move down in sequence with flutes and I forget what else. But I found myself thinking during that part that this sounds kind of like a twisted pastoral topic because you know the pastoral topic goes back hundreds of years and it usually involves like flutes or other woodwinds in parallel thirds specifically going around the melody and this one is like it has the i don't know if they're parallel but they're definitely kind of you know a couple of different pitches but instead of having a melody it's really just kind of alternating it's in stasis and it's kind of this strange harmony that you're like this is kind of, I don't know, to me, it, it evoked the pastoral a little bit, but in a way that was like from a weird angle that made it like a little unsettling. Yeah, I I hadn't connected it to the pastoral myself, but of course the flutes do con- do convey that. I mean, that's part of why I think on some level, that's part of why I found it so funny that it's flutes in this scary, move, <laughs> scary movie because flutes are, you know, these peaceful, <laughs> right? peaceful things although now that i'm thinking about it you've got my wheels turning here i'm thinking about the fact that flutes are in addition to having that pastoral association they are also ancient right way more ancient than the pastoral oh yeah um and i think that's why they were used for the pastoral because originally the pastoral arose to evoke a like kind of ancient arcadia kind of yeah so yeah yeah and then in this movie though what is the alien right like ash at some point calls you know he says he admires its perfection mm-hmm. right like its purity of purpose or something right and the idea that the alien in the movie is like the in a sense kind of the purest most perfect life form right in a way like the flute being kind of the purest musical instrument mm-hmm. um i mean that's a stretch obviously but not that big of a stretch mm-hmm. So that's one thought. I also had a thought. Um, it's something that I was I, I had also noticed, and you, you phrased it a little differently than I was thinking about it. It's another kind of music theory-ish observation about the score. So you, you kind of associated that opening, that whole opening sequence with the pastoral. And I find it really interesting because at the beginning of the movie, aside from all of the cues about the title and the framing of it, like, you know, it's going to be a spooky movie. But in that beginning part, it is ostensibly peaceful, mm-hmm. right? It's a quiet spaceship, but it is a spaceship in space, right? Where everyone is clearly in stasis and there's clearly, it's not life is normal because everyone's all asleep. So the idea that it would be like the pastoral but made creepy sort of really, really fits with that environment. And in terms of the harmonies, one thing that I was noticing, and I really love it in this reading now, is that I noticed that constantly in the score, 
almost every moment, ha even if it's not literally this, has the feeling of sitting on a dominant seventh chord. This is the kind of chord that, above all other chords, implies a need to resolve. Yeah. And this score, I feel like the entire movie, even when it lands on something that feels a little bit stable, it'll throw in a note that gives it a kind of dominant quality where you get these progressions that would otherwise be like very still and normal, but then something will, some note will come in that'll make you feel like, oh no, it needs resolution. And that's in a way the opposite of what you so often encounter in pastoral scores where you'll have a pedal point. It'll be the most stable configuration. You'll always feel grounded and this score feels the least grounded. Yeah, yeah, and in a lot of the times when there is music during the film, it does have a pedal point, mm -hmm. but the pedal point is not just one note that grounds you, it's usually like a variety of notes throughout the range of the orchestra to creating some kind of chord. I had didn't analyze it or anything, but it's usually a kind of dissonant chord like you're saying, so it has this need to resolve, but it, yet it's just, that's your stasis, that's your baseline, this like, <laughs> tension. <laughs> yeah, your baseline is like, well, I know where I am, and I know what my situation is, but I also know that it's not, that it's in need of help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they need a lot of help. They need the a lot of help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a great move. I, I think that's a great, like, thing that adds to the tension and kind of horror feeling of the film, even if you don't really realize it. Yeah. You know, if you're not thinking about it, it's just going to act on you and you're not going to be like, oh, what is this? What is this feeling? Why do I feel so unsettled right now? You know, it's true because, you know, especially until like all of the parts until they have when they actually like go meet the alien. Right. And I, I just mean like the egg, like when when like shit goes south, mm -hmm. everything up until that point, if you took out the score, it would just be like a boring workplace uh, you know, thing that's like, oh, these guys are complaining about how they don't get paid enough. And, you know, you have this kind of disaffected captain who's like, whatever, let's just get home. And, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. And even when the, in parts where there is no uh, background music, there's always sound. This is the thing that yeah. really struck me the most. This is a very noisy movie. Yeah. And even that beginning, you said, you mentioned that the, the opening when it's going through the ship is just this like peaceful quiet ship it's not actually quiet yeah you're I right i mean yeah. the quiet parts are quiet there's a lot of contrast between very very noisy parts and very very quiet parts but even the quiet parts there's some kind of sound going on that is like hinting at you about this environment and kind of building a kind of sense of a strange spacey environment and even in that opening where there's no one around where you just have these like flute things going on. Like as you go into different rooms, there's these different like bleep bloop sounds. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the, there's all, I, I feel like doing the sound design for this movie must have been really, really fun because they came up with all kinds of different sounds to represent like the sounds of the different machines or the computers, you know, when it like types out the, the mother yeah. text, you know, it has these little sounds that happen accompanying that. And, you know, that that doesn't have to happen. Obviously, if you try and talk with chat GTP, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't give you sound as it's typing out things. It just appears, right? And yet they chose to kind of represent these technologies using sound, which I found very interesting because it's like kind of this noise that's always there and 
and uh, I could go on. There are a yeah. lot of sound moments. But there's also so many mundane sounds. Yes. I mean, in that opening sequence, I think at some point you hear like the air rustling some pages of a yep. notebook and there's those like drinking birds that kind of clank a little bit. Yeah, that was weird to me. I felt I found that that was very weird because that was the first moment that something's actually moving. Mm -hmm. And then you're almost like, wait, is there something here? But then you realize it's just kind of the wind. Yeah. And that happens at the end because she goes into that space at the end of the movie when uh, Ripley's like the last one there she goes in there and the, to find the cat yeah and the those same things oh, are happening yeah, yeah, yeah. i don't know yeah. and it, it, it like brings back that unsettling feeling like wait yeah. is that the alien or is that just the wind again <laughs> right right <laughs> yeah and there's also um yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, in those early parts when they're sitting around eating breakfast and there's just a lot of food noise. Yeah, clanking. Um, and um, I forgot his name, but Harry Dean Stanton, you know, when he's in there being dripped on by the water and you yeah. become aware of the water noise, but oh, also yeah. the clanking chains coming yes. down. And yes. it's like it's all very normal stuff, but you do become acutely aware of the sounds of it. Like the chains are barely ever even in focus. It's like you see them once, you know that there's these spooky chains hanging down for reasons un unknown. But like you just, you hear constantly the clanking and then even the water dripping on him, which he, he, it's like a moment of repose for him. He's mm -hmm. like, oh, this water feels good on me. But you hear the, the drips and, yeah. and it's funny how that contributes. It works in opposition to what he's telegraphing. Right. He's saying, no, I'm calm. This is calming me down. And yet you hear it as this contributing to the environment of like creepy. Oh, you're about to get eight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. The place with the chains. That was so <laughs> interesting to me because, again, you're right. It's mundane things. It's like, you know what the sound of change clanking against each other are. But why is there a room full of dangling chains in a spaceship? <laughs> and all of the different spaces throughout the ship are all kind of bizarre and mundane at the same time. And they all are contextualized by their own different soundscape. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're met with a new soundscape every time they enter a new room. Different kinds of mechanical sounds, different kinds of electronic sounds, different kinds of blinking lights. Yes. You know? <laughs> which, um, which trigger their own kind of synesthetic response. Yeah. I mean, like the little, the little mother control room. Yeah. You know, I think about that in two ways now because... On the, on the one hand, just to follow with what you just said, you know, you're surrounded by these itty bitty tiny little lights whose meanings could not possibly be understood by any human. It's yep. like, why are there so many? But they do create this, you do feel like this is an ordered environment, mm -hmm. right? Where like, okay, it's a grid of lights. Everything is white, right? And there's these shiny little dots. And you can imagine, if you were to imagine what a score for being in that room would be like it would be very different from the score to any other part of the ship yeah but also you know to get into that room right he has to go through or they because uh, then ripley does it later they have to go through all of these different locks and keys right mm -hmm. it's like four different steps to be able to enter the room and then they're closed off mm -hmm. from the rest of the ship so it's like this quiet space with white walls little tiny lights but then you still have all of that little like, yeah, you know, yeah, and and the keyboard. I love the sound of the keyboard. It's yeah. very tactile sounding that you have to type in this stuff. So I don't know. It really brings a physical element in. Yeah. So it's kind of funny because we 
we we talked about the music for like two minutes and then oh, immediately go back. I no, have no, thoughts no. about actually. Well, I think no, I just think it's I I'm just observing how. Again, it's not that the music is like uncaptivating or anything like that. It's just interesting how the sonic experience of this movie is so much grounded in kind of the non the so-called non-musical sounds. Mm. And but actually there are some parts, especially towards the later half of the film where there is music happening and there's sound happening and sometimes I couldn't tell which was which. Sure. Like there's, I think it was when they are exploring the alien ship and then suddenly there's a bizarre sound that kind of sounds like it's part of like the soundtrack uh-huh. or the or the non-diegetic music. But then one of them's like, what was that? Mm. Implying that they actually heard it and there are a lot of times during the film where it's like, wait, is this part of the soundtrack or is this something that they are hearing? Um, for example, there's one scene where they're they're in the the science doctor's office or whatever it's called, and I forget exactly when it was, but they leave, and then you suddenly start hearing very very faintly a bit of Mozart's yeah. Eine Kleine Nacht music, and then you're like. Is this part of the soundtrack? Like, why is this happening right now? And then it gets a little bit louder, and then it, it switches to um, the captain, and he's listening to it, and yeah. then he turns it off, and then you realize, oh, he's just playing some music, yeah. you know? So it, it kind of blurs the lines between diegetic and non-diegetic in a way that's a little bit confusing and unsettling, mm-hmm. I think. I love that moment. Uh, I feel like that's kind of an old trick, right, to, to play with especially with that mm-hmm. um it is a, i love that moment though because it stands out because you do as minimal as the score is you do pretty quickly get the idea like oh there is a score for mm-hmm. this movie and it is characterized by these like weird harmonies and flutes so when mozart suddenly appears and not just like any mozart but recognizable yeah. common mozart it's kind of striking <laughs> It's an interesting choice, especially because it, it, you know, it gives me 2001 vibes a little bit because that score is so full of now very familiar classical music, but but just classical music, right, mm-hmm. as a trope in space films. And, oh, okay, so it's a space film, like, so he's going to play some classical music naturally. <laughs> I, I, but but I, I find it way more effective than that. That makes it sound... Like it's a, it was a trivial choice to have him listen to some Mozart because it's an odd little bit of character development. And uh, so you say to yourself, okay, so Dallas, the captain, likes Mozart, I guess. Or he's choosing to listen to Mozart at this moment, right, where there's he needs some tension relief. I don't know. And I guess it just makes you aware of how non-linear the rest of the score is mm-hmm. you know you hear this mozart which is super melody driven super syntactical in its harmony it's very this is like an identifiable piece of music not because you know it but because it works the way we expect music to work
and then he just stops it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Very jarring. Yeah. You don't just stop it right not not at a cadence. No. Well, and also that movement. So it's the romance from Ina Klein and Das music, and he stops it during the main part, before the like agitated, like somewhat spooky middle section. Mm. Do 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 do. <laughs> you know. So it's kind of interesting. It's like if you know the piece, you know that that's part of its world, and he's mm. just like, no, I'm not going to get to that. It's actually not a calming movement at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, too bad it's coming, even if you don't know it. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is not related to that, but just another moment of sound that I noticed right at the beginning, too. I think it's the very th- first thing you see, which is the outside of the ship. And it's this, like, massive thing. And you're kind of looking at it as if you're floating in space. I mean, this is a very common scene in space movies. And this inevitably happens where when you see the ship, you also hear the sound of like airplane engines or jet engines or something yeah. like there's it, a hum. There's a hum. There's like a very, very low pitched hum that gets a little bit louder, at least in this one, as you get closer to the end where presumably the engines are. And I always find that so interesting because... If you were there, you probably would hear nothing, right? Well, I mean, I don't know. It's you. It's right. <laughs> and yet, this is what is expected. Like, it makes it more realistic if you hear something than if you don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always that question. I mean, it, you couldn't physically be there if you were there. You'd be no. in a spacesuit. Yeah. Um, but and... it is interesting how how especially in the beginning. You know, there are these cuts between different perspective shots, Mm -hmm. most of which would not be possible in the physical space of where they're at. And yet they are still characterized by different shifts of sound. For example, when the away team is going out on the moon to like try and find the signal, it's like a windstorm. It's extremely loud, this like rain and wind and... Um, It keeps jumping between you kind of being behind them and seeing them walking through this crazy weather and hearing that like in your ears and then switching back to being one of them inside and you're hearing like that little exhaust thing that kind of sounds like exhaling and then switching back to the, um, the ship where where Ash is like watching them on the view screen and it's very, very quiet and you're hearing this kind of electronically uh, mediated yeah. uh, voices. It's over, over radio. It's all yeah, crackly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it's very, it, I found that very jarring to like jump back and forth between these extremely quiet and extremely loud yeah. parts. Yeah. Especially because it's all around, you're trying to pay attention to what they're saying. Yeah, and you can't. And you can't. It's, it, <laughs> yeah, like it's it's and and you physically can't because there are times when the connection gets so bad that you stop being able to perceive what they're saying. Yeah. And of course, you want to because they're going out into the unknown and there's mm-hmm. this mysterious thing, and you want to pay attention to every single word. I guess we're sort of describing these acoustic treatments right like how the sound is manipulated to contribute to our sense of the atmosphere and our sense of the drama and i mean the whole field of sound design is 
more or less this we're 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 saying <laughs> we're basically saying alien has sound design and that, that it's done well um but i i guess we can make it a little bit more specific somehow by saying it's done well in a way that is in dialogue with what happens in a lot of space movies but also in ways that are very specific to this one mm-hmm. right like the way in which it's edited together like the way it happens in conversation with the score right or the diegetic music and it's the juxtaposition of all of those elements that I think is a little bit more special and unique in this movie you know if I think about Star Wars for example like there's lots of sound design in Star Wars that's also great sound design but it's almost I can't think of any moments off the top of my head where the sound design is so problematically associated with things that are happening Right, like in Star Wars, you hear droid noises and you know they're coming from droids, or you hear weapon noises and you know they're from weapons. And when you hear comms noises, right, you understand it's not like you shift from like, oh, you're in the ship and then you're in the control room. It's like, no, there's comms noises for the whole duration of a sentence, mm-hmm. right? And in Alien, it's none of those clear distinctions are maintained. Mm. Yeah, I think that draws attention to a couple of things. Maybe one being the disconnectedness of all of the characters like it seems like most of them have not really worked together except for maybe the two engineers and it becomes clear throughout that especially ripley doesn't trust most of them especially (laughs) the doctor or the scientist or whatever his title is ash um for good reason yeah turns out she doesn't she doesn't know that but she (laughs) (laughs) she, (laughs) she, she yeah yeah but you know they They've been asleep for most of this journey, it feels like, so that they don't really know each other. They don't really know if they have each other's backs. Um, And then the other thing is that it draws attention to the inhospitable nature of space because they feel very vulnerable all the time and not in the way that the characters in Star Wars feel vulnerable. It seems like to them the threat is the evil empire. It's not space itself. Right, even though Luke lives on a desert planet, you know that's they they make it work. Whereas these characters, they go onto this moon, and it is not a place you can be without your spacesuit. You know, not even speaking of the alien eggs that they find there, like it's just <laughs> not a place you want to be for any extended period of time. And then space itself, you know, they seem like they're on this tiny little island that at any moment. You know, something bad can happen, their shuttle breaks down, and it's like, oh no, they better fix it or else they're going to die. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and then they, even when they, yeah, this is a, a moment where I feel like the music was very interesting because as they're landing on the moon, I think a new kind of theme appears that wasn't there before. So you had the flute thing, and now we have this like, I don't know if it's a horn or something or a trumpet. There is a, yeah, there's like, like a line. Something like that. And when they're landing, it sounds very creepy. It sounds very like, yeah. I don't know if they're going to make it. But then when they finally fix everything and then they're like, let's get out of here. And then they start taking off. And then as they, um, as they come back, they, that thing comes back. And whereas it sounded very unsettling at at the beginning, like this is the only familiar thing that we have. And so this is illustrating <laughs> their like, oh, yeah, we made it. 
celebratory kind of thing. So it kind of sounds celebratory, but at the same time, it's still that like lone horn melody against this like kind of crazy backdrop drone. And so you don't know whether to feel celebratory or like, wow, you escaped with your lives. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah. There is that line that that like little almost tune that it gets used a lot of times over the course of the movie. And I haven't analyzed it, but it triggers two thoughts in my head. One is that I and this I would need to do my homework to figure it out. Um, That line, it it always feels vaguely octatonic, like it's like not clearly major or minor, but blends a little bit in between. Um, The other thing is that it's really reminiscent to me of one of the main themes in a famous piece by Takemitsu, A Flock Descends into the Pentagonal Garden, where there is a line that's very much of the same kind of character. Mm. That's a piece that was written uh, earlier in the 70s. I wouldn't be totally surprised if Jerry Goldsmith, composer of the score, had at least heard once that Takemitsu piece. It was like fairly well known. I think. And I mean, even if he hadn't, it doesn't really matter. It's I like hearing that connection because that piece, the Takamitsu piece, is not a creepy piece of music. It's a beautiful piece of music about a dream that is given by the title Birds and a Garden Mm -hmm. and it's a Pentagon. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I like being that the connection a little bit. It's indulgent, but I like it because in the Takamitsu, it is this dreamscape. And I wouldn't say the piece is completely non-creepy you know because it is a dream and in a way this whole movie is also this like like none of these characters know what they didn't sign up for this at all right they're they signed up for apparently like a good paycheck right Mm -hmm. and like go out be asleep for a couple months come back get paid whatever uh so all of this is like how could this even be real and how could this even been happening and the nature of that melody kind of I think why it works for this score and the same is the same reason why it works well in the Takamitsu piece. It's a melody that lives, that's identifiable as a melody, right? And it's identifiable as like weird, but definitely tonal, right? Like you can feel it grounded, but it's grounded in the way like, like we were talking about earlier where it's grounded, but not grounded at mm-hmm. the same time. It, yeah. Cause even in that moment you were addressing where it does get set in a way that's a little bit more, let's say traditional or familiar, right? It still is unsettled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is one other musical work. Oh, yeah. Uh, that is invoked by this piece, and it's all the way at the end. I'll admit, I assumed it was just part of Goldsmith's score, but all the way at the end of the movie, there's this finally this kind of beautiful like clearly more stable language not the most traditional but clearly stable and that's what kind of then initiates the the credit sequence and as we were watching the credits i noticed that in addition to the mozart there is one other piece of incidental music that is listed and it's howard hansen's symphony number two and it turns out that that's that music Mm -hmm. uh which to me is just a really remarkable choice both because a who thinks of howard hansen's second symphony in making alien (laughs) um and two it really does feel so integrated with the rest of the score and apparently that was not intentional or like like it's not like 
Jerry Goldsmith was like, oh, I was thinking about Howard Hansen. No, apparently Ridley Scott, the director, just decided he wanted that to be the credits and did not inform either Jerry Goldsmith or Howard Hansen. <laughs> and so they were both upset about it. And they were like, you know, Howard Hansen's like, you use my piece without asking. And Jerry Goldsmith was like, I could have written you something equally good. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's an interesting choice. Yeah. I mean, it does fit the mood. Like, it does. it's it's a good artistic choice, but it's it's also just really interesting. I, I I mean, if for no other reason than the fact that, you know, Howard Hansen is kind of one of these overlooked figures of American musical modernism. The irony being that the Second Symphony is subtitled "The Romantic," but but you know, if you <laughs> listen to the whole thing, it's got plenty of kind of hard-edged yeah. writing in it. Yeah, at the beginning, we just listened to a little bit of it. The beginning is very scary sounding. I mean, I would not have been surprised if they had used any of that during the film. I mean, they didn't, but it fits right in with the kind of soundscape that they created. So I don't know, maybe Ridley Scott was familiar with the piece and he was like, yeah, this has the kind of trajectory that I'm looking for. Um, But I I like that that the kind of romantic-y music doesn't really come in until the end because when... Ripley gets on the shuttle. She flies away. She blows up the ship. It's like, finally, I blew up that terrible alien that was stalking us and killing us all. I'm safe. There's no musical resolution there. Like, the tension is still there. So you know it's not over. Yeah. Because, I mean, even though she seems relaxed, you're still on edge. You're like, uh, why is there no, like, nice music? Like, (laughs) I escaped now. Turns out because the alien's on the ship obviously should have checked but whatever (laughs) (laughs) and it's only at the very very end like she falls asleep in the little pod and then and then we have this lovely music that it's it's interesting because as as an audience member like it's like finally you have a moment of rest to like process all this trauma that just happened like everyone has just been murdered (laughs) and you hope that ripley has that too even though she's like asleep but who knows? Like, maybe she's she's having nice dreams. <laughs> yeah. I love that because I hadn't thought about the fact that in this movie, it's almost like it requires the appearance of nice music to actually create a sense of resolution. Mm-hmm. I hadn't consciously processed that, that, like, when she does get away and you're finally done with all of the venting steam and the alarms which are very distressing and that whole escape is it's like in real time Uh, so it's like you actually from the moment she like starts the things like you actually experience her 10 minutes more or less Mm -hmm. so it's very stressful and that there is that silence right and you see her like taking off her like nasty clothing and she's like trying to chill out and it's true there's no you know, the soundlessness of it or the scorelessness of it makes it like you don't notice that that's not there, (laughs) which makes sense. Why would you notice the absence of it, right? Mm -hmm. You're just so, there is a sense of relief, but not a resolution of tension. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's a really interesting thing to think about. Ridley Scott makes the choice to create resolution by way of music. It's not even that she goes to sleep. 
if she went to sleep and it was silent, that would be even creepier, right? It's like you need this luscious orchestral score to communicate, okay, really, believe us, audience, everything is actually fine. She's asleep, the cat's asleep, right? (laughs) The music is what does it. Yeah.